Welcome to the Untied Podcast. Uh, today we're talking to Matthew Messick, the co-host of Profits Over Wages podcast. Uh, Matthew Messick is a great guy. I've known him for a while through Tony P and Greg uh, DeKalb. So I'm very excited to sit down with this guy. Uh, we're going to talk to him about uh, flipping houses, real estate development, uh, real estate investments, and uh, his favorite things to do around Chicago is well as some other fun things uh, that we uh, incorporate into this episode. And uh, stay tuned. He's coming up right now. You've been, I mean, you currently do real estate uh, development and investing. Where would you pinpoint the beginning of your journey to where you are now? You mean like where I started? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably this, uh, <clears throat> the launching point was when I read the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Kind of went all, you know, learned about, you know, working for yourself instead of working for somebody else. Um, <clears throat> you know, getting a passive income and just kind of going after your own dreams. So um, I read that book and then decided that was the life I wanted to lead. Uh, lead. And then I started going after things that, you know, put me in that direction. <clears throat> you know, it uh, started slowly but surely. Um, you know, over a couple of years, I started reading more books, listening to more podcasts, um, going to seminars and boot camps and whatnot. And then I started doing my own deals uh, on the side when I was working full time as an accountant. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, just started doing, you know, more deals and more deals and um, scaling up. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. So reading that book, um, you're talking about being your own boss. Was there a point, maybe even before you got like a legitimate career or whatever, where you just had a moment where you're like, I don't want to work for anyone else other than myself? Yeah, like right after I read that book, that's what I decided I wanted to do. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if like there was a moment in high school or something where you just had like a shitty boss and that kind of added it to it as well, or maybe after high school, because I mean, we've all had those shitty bosses as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I knew, I my whole dream was like, you know, I wanted to climb the corporate ladder, you know, I just knew I was smart and, you know, get good grades and get a good job and whatnot and go to college. Um, and I was going to do that for a while. And I knew at some point, you know, later down the line, I wanted to work for myself. I didn't know, like, you know, when or what I had to do to get there. But then, yeah, after, you know, reading that book, it's kind of like, took, like a, life um, a light switch, just kind of like, you know, the matrix where you take the, you know, take the other pill, then it opens up your eyes to everything else. And then you're like, there's, I can do this now. And then, you know, there's other options out there. You really did, you know, like success is um, like a choice, like it's a decision to make. Right, right. No, I, uh, I 100% agree with that. Are you originally from Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in the south suburbs and then moved here when I was 18 to go to DePaul and stayed in the city ever since. That's awesome. Uh, but real quick about the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I remember, I mean, my, my dad read that book. I would, you know, skim through it because uh, he would always like push it on me while I was in high school. He's like, read this now. Like, don't wait until you're, you know, like my age to read it. And then um, I actually saw on your LinkedIn that you were hosting uh cash flow game nights which cash flow now i realize is the cash flow that's associated with that book that's the one that the author created correct is like a monopoly sort of deal yeah totally like they call it a uh, monopoly on steroids <clears throat> yeah he created that just because obviously like 
there's a lot of people who don't like reading books or are too lazy to read them. So it's like a great interactive way to get everyone kind of involved and like, you know, get the, the light switch turned on for them by, you know, going through and playing the game. And um, yeah, I hosted that game every month for uh, three years. And like, you know, we usually had a good turnout anywhere from like 15 to 25 people each time we had like three games going. And, you know, like 90% of the people who come are like never played before. And you can kind of see kind of the bad habits that people have. And you can kind of see when they start like learning, like you see when it starts clicking in their head and like the way they, they start um, playing and changing the game and people come back to that. And um, yeah, I met like a ton of awesome people like through that. And um, yeah. And then, you know, COVID kind of shut that down, but you know, I want to get that back up and started and running again. Cause even yeah. I played it, I don't even know, like, you know, 50 times. And I, I'm still, every time I play it, I learn something new. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. It's like you know, real life principles. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's like way more beneficial. I remember playing it because they went to like the seminar where the guy was like signing the books and he was giving a presentation. They bought the book. My Both my parents went and they came back uh, and they got like cash flow and then they got cash flow for kids, uh, which like they would like make my sister and I play. They would like play it with us and like try and make it super fun. And I was like, I feel like they're tricking me into like learning <laughs> shit right now, but yeah, no, definitely a cool game, very beneficial. I mean, I remember like, like playing that and going like, like w- as soon as I like moved out, I was like, I, I feel like I understand that a little bit better. I understand like business more, and I understand like that money management aspect of life that is so daunting, such a daunting task for everyone, but. Matt, um, when I was younger, my dad uh, pretty much forced me to work when I was 13. And that's when I pretty much learned like the importance of a dollar and savings. Is there a moment in your life uh, younger that you can look back to where you can kind of reflect on and be like, I'm glad, I'm glad that happened to me because I that's where I learned the importance of a dollar and saving? Um, I never really learned like saving. I learned more like investing. Uh, my whole thing with like saving is like, you know, you save money and it kind of sits there and like how much is it really like gaining? Right. Um, but yeah, just being able to see kind of like, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, you get single digit returns, there's a lot of stuff you get double digit returns, like, you know, even now with like crypto and a bunch of other stuff, you know, there's, um, <clears throat> you can, like the ROI and a lot of things now are you know, a lot greater if you take the time to study it and learn it and like educate yourself. Um, but no, I'll, g- I'll give you another example uh, that, you know, that comes to mind. Like when I was eight, I remember I went with my parents to like a restaurant um, and then, you know, they're like, oh, you want to eat and you'll order whatever you want. And I go to order like something and, you know, I wasn't really looking at prices because I didn't think about it at that time. I think I was trying to order like a like an expensive steak, like not realizing. I'm just like, you know, going by the descriptions. And then, you know, when the waitress was there and I go to order that, they're like, you know, no, pick something different. And I'm like, oh, why? You know, just I didn't know why. And they're like, oh, that's like too expensive. And I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, you know, we can't afford that. Or, you know, they just didn't want to. And I didn't really understand, but I just, you know, I picked something else. And then they did, you know, the, you know, the waitress went away. And then I started asking, like, you know, why can't you afford that or this or that? And um, like it just didn't click to me. I was like, oh, well, if you didn't, don't have enough money to kind of choose what you want or get what you want, like, why don't you go do something that gets you enough money? that where you can make your own choices. So ever since that day, I'm like, I'm never going to, you know, say that to myself or make decisions based on what I can or can't afford. I'm just going to 
put myself in a position where I can afford whatever I want to do. So it's more about like that freedom to have where you can decide. You don't have to make decisions that you're forced to because you're not in the position that you want to, you know, focus on putting yourself in the position where you don't have to make those type of choices and you can have the freedom to you know, decide whatever you want. I mean, yeah, being able to go to any restaurant and getting steak is always a good thing. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely, I don't have kids, uh, but if I did, Not I probably wouldn't know. let them get a steak at a restaurant. I'd be like, no, don't waste a steak on him. I'd be like, <laughs> like they, their taste buds aren't developed enough. Um, but so like you went to doing that and then you actually founded uh, Park Place, uh, re- what is it, Park Place? I just yeah. read it. Park Place, Park Place Property, Property Group. Yeah, Property yeah, so- Group, that's what it's- um yeah started doing some deals uh here in chicago and then we got into doing these uh big gut rehabs um so it started that development company and we had about like you know eight ten twelve of those going at a time and you know those were um <clears throat> you know big um basically single family gut rehabs and we would uh we'd call them like pop tops so we you know pop the roof off of a place because like a bungalow with the uh you know, the slanted ceilings and we do full, uh, full second floor additions. Um, so, you know, that went good for a while, but then after a while, like, you know, those were, you got to kind of decide what you're spending your time on, like your ROI on uh, time. Yeah. So like, like the best one we ever did of that took like 13 months and then the longest, you know, uh, two to three years. So by the time, you know, you get to the end of that, you know, you're spending all that time waiting for a check then you're almost in a like a different part of your life but by that point. So um, yeah, I did that with the partner and uh, you know, that went pretty well for a few years. And then I was just like, but it wasn't scaling like as quickly as I wanted to. Um, so just kind of think of like, you know, something else to do. And um, yeah, so two and a half years ago, uh, switched my business model, pretty much like the opposite where now all I do is I buy uh, single family homes that are like 150,000 and below based like 80 percent of the buyer pool the buyer market can afford you know the rehabs are like twenty five thousand and under you know the rehab can get done in one to three months first i mean those rehabs are taking like nine to 18 months um and then yeah we really started doing volume so like yeah to uh to date in the current business model that i have um we've done almost 80 flips in 25 states wow um, with that business model and it's a lot quicker um you're getting checks you know every month versus you know every six months um and we've really been able to scale that and um that's kind of what i learned because you know a lot of people that's the other thing with the i don't know if you had poor dad but a lot of people what they miss is there's that there's actually the second book called the cash flow quadrant which is actually like rich dad poor dad part two but you know it was like so big that they had to split into two books that one's actually was actually more meaningful for me because um, if you're familiar, like the quadrant is like the left side is the employee and the self-employed, and then the right side is the the business owner, the investor. So like, there's a difference between flipping houses and uh, owning and running like a house flipping business, because like you can be, you know, you're self-employed. All that means is like you own your own job. So that's kind of what I was doing before, where we had a few flips going, but it's like you're working every day and you're doing them and you're you know running them. And it's not like scalable versus like what, you know, I kind of morphed into over time where it's you choose something where you can like, you know, build up and, uh, you know, implement systems and structures and processes. And then you really can kind of just blow that up and scale. And then because then you kind of have other people working for you and um, 
yeah, it's really I really learned the last few years is uh, implementing systems to be able to do that to scale. Matt, um, with all of your flips that you've done, I'm, I'm super curious about uh, in Chicago as well. Has there been anything that you've heard? Because like you, yeah, like you said, you might not be on the grounds of the actual flip of all the people uh, doing the, I guess, dirty work, but have they ever found like anything weird? while flipping or like tearing down a wall or something like that? Like, have you heard of any stories? Just like random stuff in houses? Yeah, like I don't know if like there may have been like a stash pile that like your people have came across of or like 30 pounds of cocaine or like um, something the, crazy like that. The third house I ever bought, it had uh, 150 cats living in it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, by the time I got it, like, they were all gone. But, like, I had bought it, and I guess it was all over the news. I don't really watch the news, but my dad does, and I told him about it. It's like, when I was starting out, he's like, wait, you bought that house? Like, um, and they were all black hats, and it made, um, you know, it was, like, scaring the neighborhood and stuff. Because, it's, I mean, it got into the summer, and it really started to stink, if you can imagine. All the neighbors oh, had to, like, have their windows up. The kids were walking by and stuff, and... um we did get like a notice in the mailbox once when uh, I looked at it and it said something like, basically there was like inches of feces like in the basement where like you couldn't even touch the basement floor. Like you, like, you know, the basically there was a layer on the floor where there's like half feces because there's so many. And then um, even when they were trying to board it up and get everyone, they had to have like three different animal groups come and like get all the cats because like one couldn't handle them all. And I mean, most, most of them had to be uh, euthanized. But um, like, uh, yeah, there were, they were board. They boarded it up and everything, and uh, people were breaking into it. These uh, there were cat activists, like cativists, that were breaking in. Oh they thought like, the cats boarded up in it, and they're like, "Oh, you know, you're gonna kill the cats." And it's like, "No, we already got them all out. Like, stop breaking in the house." But, <laughs> um, what are you doing, man? So that's crazy. Um, that is. Another, uh, like no another house that, uh, uh, but there was like in the master bedroom, there was this big like. This structure put together by two by fours. It was kind of like a bed platform, but it was like custom made. And then what we had found out was that somebody had um, basically like, you know, someone, the lady who's lived there, you know, ended up being like four or five, 600 pounds and like couldn't like move anymore. And they, and like a regular bed couldn't like, she kept breaking the beds, like they wouldn't, couldn't handle it. So they had to build like a custom made like two by four like structure to put the mattress on top of. So that she could basically like you know live there and you know she ended up like you know dying in the bed and whatnot eventually, but like yeah we say that so I had a, that one actually did the double myself so we actually had to take that apart and yeah and we figured that out later on. Um, okay. There's another house I flipped in Alabama. We didn't find out till like we're towards the end and went to go list, but the uh, <clears throat> the kid like murdered both his parents in the house. Um, oh no. That potentially, we didn't know that when we bought it. Otherwise, you know, because, you know, sometimes there's, like, bad stigma about that, being able to, like, resell it, especially in, like, a small town. Like, people know that, and, like, they don't want to buy that house. Um, we ended up doing okay with that one. Um, of course, it was in Alabama. Well, and, like, how yeah. long before you bought it did that happen? Was it the previous owners? Yeah. Well, oh, it was a big oh. the previous owners, and then, it you know, they got foreclosed on, obviously, because they're dead, and they were paying mortgage and then um we ended up buying it from the bank you know like a year later wow oh my god is so that you obviously had to disclose that when selling it 
No, so that's actually not a protected class. You don't have to share that um, legally. But um, no, I just remember one of the agents, one of the buyer agents, like mentioned that. And we used an agent that wasn't from that town because uh, she was helping us on another project a few towns away. Um, and she kind of told us that. And we're like, oh, I hope that doesn't mess up the whole. I mean, we were fine. We you know, went under contract within 30 days. So it was, wasn't anything that was like, you know, affected the, uh, the resellability of the property. It's like, hey, uh, can you tell me a little bit about this house? Well, it definitely didn't have 150 plus cats living in it if you heard anything. <laughs> um, with uh, with your experience flipping houses, um, is there are the reality are the reality? I think the reality TV shows about flipping houses are they bullshit or do you have a favorite or? Um, it's some of both. Like, um, I was actually pretty close to having my own show once. Um, oh. we ended up not getting, but no, there was um, I know you know I met some of the other uh flippers and whatnot and um some of it's like real some of it's like fake like there was one where there was just like there's an episode where there's like a ton of like rats that just like went through and they ran and you know people are like oh no there's rats but they literally went and they put them in there like before shooting so um there's i don't know it's probably like 50 50 like you know most of it's like true but then half you know it's like just any other other reality like tv show they they enhance it to make it you know more entertaining do you do you watch any of the shows? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, um, I used to like uh, Flipper Flop a lot. Um, oh, that's my favorite. In general, yeah. Um, and I think there's another one. I haven't watched them in a while. Um, yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, those used to be my favorite. So you almost had your own. Can you go into a little bit about that? <clears throat> um, let me see if I can go into it without giving away certain things. Um, I got you. No, so we basically, I was, had someone that I was working with that was a more prominent, like an actual prominent um, TV star in the past and currently. And it was going to be kind of like a group of us doing it together. And the premise was that it would be like a house that was one season would be the whole house and it'd be like different rooms. Like it'd be like, you know, like a full uh, project. And the thing is, we needed money. And so my background, uh, my expertise is like raising capital. So the whole thing is we already had the house. Um, we actually had like the producer. You know, we had the, like the talent. Um, we had like the, the real estate expertise. Uh, and it's like the fun. So actually I had went out and I um, ended up like pitching like an investor that I was already using for my own projects. And the whole thing, it was a little bit different of a pitch, obviously. So, but it was almost kind of the same thing as just pitching like a you know, real estate investment for a fix and flip. It was just that now there was added costs of like production costs, you know, to actually like film it. And um, I actually went and it only took me like three weeks and I uh, ended up raising like, <clears throat> you know, had verbal commitments for like uh, 1.5 million for the first three seasons, wow. which was basically like, you know, three houses to flip um, that like all the production costs were like included and it would, you know, work. And then it was, and then actually, once you hit three seasons, you can go into um, uh, syndication on, you know, wherever. And that's where you actually make, you know, a lot, you know, real money because then it's going on whatever it is, like, you know, Netflix or Amazon or whatever TV channel. So then you start syndicating and then you're making so much per episode, per market. Um, so, I mean, it was really interesting experience to kind of learn all that and go through that and like the financing structure and, um, we had started with like a pretty small equity share and we actually negotiated our way up to get um, probably like half 
And then, anyways, I should have been the one that pitched, like, uh, when we basically had secured the money verbally, and then um, you basically had to figure out how to, kind of like the cash flow outlay with the production team and whatnot. And there's basically a disagreement with <clears throat> one of the people that I was going to uh, partner with for the real estate side of it and, like, the, the producer that was going to produce it. And yeah, they just loved the pitch meeting. And then those guys really started butting heads and then everyone stopped talking. And then negotiations, negotiations got really um, difficult. And then the whole thing kind of just fell apart. And uh, then, yeah, so, but it was a good experience. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you still got to learn, I guess, that entire side of what it actually takes to put it together and put it on the screen, which is super cool. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously raising capital is even the hard part of that. It was more like just kind of what it always is, uh, people working together. Like you really got to choose the right team. Yeah. People got to like, you know, come together for the right goal. And like, you know, people got greedy really quick, really easily. And like, you know, just, you know, torpedoed the whole project before everything got started. Um, and then, you know, that kind of helped me also decide, you know, the right people to work with going forward and whatnot and who not to work with. Um, Cause you kind of see people's true colors um at different times that's for sure yeah no i agree completely um i was uh i'm actually still thinking about when you said that uh the lady had to get a custom built bed i like can't get over that well and here's the thing is i had a custom built bed i did i you you you've seen my the room at my parents house the four mattress bed Oh yeah, there's also four mattresses on the bed. Because what happened was, um, I my parents got a new bed. I, I I I had just gotten a new bed before I moved out, and then I bought another new bed to move into my apartment. But I this bed was just chilling at my parents' house, and my sister, or my no, my parents got a new bed, so they swapped out that one, and then I put that mattress and the box spring underneath my like 12 inch thick memory foam mattress and i was like it's just like a giant mattress pad on a giant mattress it's like it's, it's probably like three feet high uh just to get into the bed and i built it up onto this platform because i was like first of all there's a lot of extra weight that isn't accounted for and second of all like i used to throw crazy parties <laughs> at my parents house. so like there would be people hey, that people like come over and see my four mattresses no there would be like like one of them like this per one person grab because like there's no door on the room it's like one big basement with a room built in the back and they had a like this one guy was standing there were people standing all over the basement one of them standing like right by my bed and this other guy gets there and runs and grabs the dude and flips him and grabs him and the bed frame split in half <laughs> long ways. So I was like, I don't even know what to do in that situation. So what I did was I went to Home Depot, I got the pieces and I just built. You built your own bed frame? I built my own bed frame because I was like, I'm going to make it stronger than any of these other ones. So I built like a full on platform. But when you said that, I was like, I'm not the only one, first of all. Second of all, I'm like, she like built it for other reasons. You know what I mean? Well, I don't think she built it. Eh? Well, right. Did. Someone built it for her, but I just think that's insane. Um, you got another horror story if you guys want to hear this one. Yes, please. Yes, definitely. 
this one, this one isn't mine. It's another investor, but I've heard enough times, uh, told quite a few times. Um, so there's an investor that I know, and uh, he was actually managing this project for an out-of-state investor uh, from California, but he was using his own, like, you know, subcontractors, handymen. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you use guys like that, like, they don't, you know, necessarily have their whole life in order or whatnot. So, uh, but no, this guy did pretty good work and whatnot. And uh, he was, so he started working on this house, but he was like, you know, the guy was, uh, the handyman was living with his dad at the time. And he's like, oh, can um, you mind, can I like stay at this house while I work on it? And uh, so this investor thought it was a good idea. He goes, okay, well, you already be there. He'll wake up. He'll like work. He's going to be more efficient. Um, so I think even at that time, he didn't have a car. So he had to kind of drop him off at the job site every day. So he goes, okay, sure. So this guy starts uh, this guy starts uh, working and living there, and uh, you know, a few weeks go by and it goes okay, and then he basically doesn't hear from him for a week, and he goes, oh, that's odd, and he kind of he like drove by and the lights were still on and stuff, so he goes to like you know check in and everything's like locked, but the lights are still on, so he kind of had like a bad feeling, so he he ends up uh, breaking one of the windows like to get in, and he kind of just like this like smell just hits him. Uh-oh. Um, so he's like, he didn't want to go in any further. So he ends up like calling the cops and like, you know, going and check on it. <clears throat> Long story short, uh, the contractor ended up like doing heroin and overdosing oh. in the house and dying. Oh, which is like horrible. One, two, you know, it was a friend of the investors. So it's, you know, even worse because he had been using them for a few years. Um, oh. now in the actual on the investor side, it gets even worse. So, like, you know, if you, the guy was there for, you know, almost a week. So, I don't know if you guys know too much about <clears throat> dead bodies and whatnot, but after, like, two or three days, it starts, like, decaying. And, like, I guess it, like, I don't know, like, the body blows up or it starts, like, you know, yeah. decaying. Yeah. And then, like, these acidic juices come out. So, the house that had mm-hmm. almost already been done. And then, but basically, the body had been there. And the amount of damage that it did, like the, the juices came out, it, it burned through the, like the, the hardwood floors, like down to the basement and just created like, I was like a mess. So long story short, the, uh, it ended up to, to clean up all the mess and everything and get it back to where it was. It, uh, ended up being $26,000 in damages. Oh, and, you know, this wasn't like a huge house or anything. It was kind of like your normal everyday house. I mean, that probably, you know, could maybe like doubled or. You know, increase the rehab budget by 50%. So then it gets even worse from there. Oh. For some reason, this uh, the investor from California never set up um, property insurance. Oh. Like, instead of, like, you know, you're paying 100 bucks a month for property insurance and then maybe having to pay a $2,500 deductible for something like this, he, you know, the entire, he had to take the entire $26,000 hit, like, out of pocket. No, that's even oh. worse. I mean... Yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty. There's your horror story, all around. Yeah, I'm, I'm never letting anyone stay in my house <laughs> if I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit! Wow. Oh, that's so messed up. Cause like, I mean, you think about it, they're like, oh, you're trying gonna, to do a person a favor. Yeah, you're trying to, and do it comes out that they die, and you owe twenty six thousand dollars. Yeah, they died, and like their body ruined the house. I couldn't imagine. Oh, I couldn't imagine the smell. Which is crazy because he was there to fix it. He was there to fix it. And and he didn't. He made, made it a lot worse. <laughs> he made it a lot worse. Oh my gosh! I can't even. And like heroin, that's a terrible. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously terrible. It killed him. Right. Jeez. That is an absolutely horror story. Okay, how about a successful story? (laughs) What's your most successful flip you've ever done that you're like, this one's like... This is sick. This is badass. Mine that was like so good that like it was so easy. And I was like, why can't they all be like this? And like, I felt like I even earned the money. Um, so, I mean, we got into buying bank owned properties where we basically get these like lists from like an asset manager of just like, hey, here's all the properties of banks. The bank's looking to offload. Here are all the prices, whatever, whichever ones you want. Just let, you know, let me know and you can buy them at those prices. So, like, you know, the banks are. I mean, at least 95% of it are like just bad numbers. They're not going to work at all for investment. But like, um, you know, the banks, you know, here and there, they miss, you know, misjudge their numbers or their value. So you can, if you go through it with a fine tooth comb, you can really find deals and cherry pick them. So there's this one where it's just like, basically, I bought a house in Hawaii on a Monday for 39000 I've still never been to Hawaii in my life. Didn't go there. Couldn't even, didn't even see what the house looked like because even on Google Maps, Google Earth, it's like set back from the street. So like there's just trees and stuff. So I saw no idea what the house ever looked like. I bought it for thirty nine thousand on a Monday, and I sold it to another investor on Friday for one hundred and five. Oh. <laughs> oh sixty thousand in four days without doing anything. And then um, even just like the you know OPM, other people's money, even that uh, that forty thousand, I had someone. Lend it to me, and then I paid him back forty-one thousand. So I paid a thousand dollars to use forty grand for five days to make sixty on it. Wow! Probably the one that sticks out of my mind a lot. Yeah, that's awesome though that you were able to be like, "All right, I'm gonna only spend a thousand dollars." Yeah, and then you made sixty thousand. Did did that person that person come to you though, or did you have to go find them? The the private lender. I went and found them. Yeah, I just. what about the one that bought the property? Uh, we had to find them too. We found them online. There was someone in San Diego, um, you know, like cash buyers. So like marketing for cash buyers is, you know, part of our, uh, you know, our systems. Um, you know, for we, we go to sell property, you know, if we go and list it on the MLS. Actually, so we could have got even more for that property if we just kept it and listed on the MLS and, you know, for the open market. But um, yeah, during our first year, a couple years ago, we're, Buying off market, selling off market, uh, just finding uh, other investors and, you know, posting in different Facebook groups and whatnot. So we found them there on a Facebook group. When, um, so, so I feel like everybody kind of has a general sense of like, if you were in the business of flipping houses, like it's kind of just a cool area to be in. It's a cool project to do. And minus people doing meth and dying in the basement and like 150 cats, like what's, What's a pain in the ass part of the the job or the industry that most people don't look at, see, or like consider? So for me, um, it's uh, managing contractors and the construction and the rehab. That's just like, you know, not my forte or up my alley or anything that I'm like really interested in. Um, I mean, I do get that from a lot of other investors, but kind of like it depends how someone gets into the business. Um, but yeah, for that part of it, if you unless you really have like a construction background, or project management, or, you know, managing people. Um, I mean, I would say that's probably the consensus, uh, biggest part of the business, um, just managing the construction, the, the rehabbers, which is really why I like uh, projects like that, where you can just buy as is, sell as is, there's no construction or rehab involved. And you're really just like 
you know, for me, I have like an accounting background. So it's really just like finding something, looking at it, being able to now analyze it and say, oh, this is worth, I can get this way, I can buy this for way less than what it's worth. I can sell it for more than what I can get it for. And just kind of find that arbitrage uh, in the middle. How much, um, how much did COVID, especially in the city, like affect, I guess, like just buying property and selling property? Like, was it a big... You know what? I didn't think it affected me a lot at first. And I used to brag about it. Like, oh, you know, I do everything remotely anyways. I'm going into houses like this isn't going to affect me at all. And it ended up uh, <clears throat> ended up affecting us a lot later on. It was a big lag. So before COVID hit, we were averaging literally like an acquisition a week. Like we're buying a new house every single week. Uh, so we did, yeah, we literally did like 51 houses in, in our first 52 weeks in our first year. And then it was still going like that. But then we went, we had like a five month drought. Like we, uh, we bought a house December 1st and then we didn't buy another house until April 30th. So pretty much all of December, January, February, March, April, five months, we didn't buy one house, which was like, cause inventory just disappeared. You know, they have the foreclosure moratorium um, and everything we buy is REOs. We buy foreclosures. So if there can't be any more foreclosures, like they, you know, cuts off the pipeline. And then literally just like a light switch, it just came back on and inventory started <clears throat> coming back. And now we've bought like 13 houses in the last two months. So it just like, yeah, so there's five months drought, which really kind of set us back a bit, but now we're, you know, you know, catching back up again. And now it's um, like, even we had a list coming yesterday, we had like 48 potential properties on there with good numbers which was like our biggest um, our biggest list so far this year of like, you know, how many properties we have to the potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like a lot of people, other people who just walk away or quit or say, you know, Vegas Houston, it's kind of like you kind of stick it through and, you know, push through until, you know, things get good again. And then, I mean, that's what all businesses go through, whether or not, whatever extent, you know, um, outside circumstances like affect you that's part of being a business is, you know, just stick it through um, and find, you know, make adjustments and pivot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with, um, so what was, I want to say, I don't want to word this. Um, so, okay. So with, with your podcast, you guys are, are you guys still doing it? Uh, no. So I had, so it was my previous partner that we, um, we co-hosted it together. We did 60 episodes. And then, yeah, we kind of put a hold on it right when COVID started. Because, um, you know, we really like doing ours, like, in person with people. Because we get to, you know, feel like you get to meet them more. Um, and so we kind of put a pause on it. And now, yeah, some time has passed. Um, yeah, I don't know if we're going to go back and do it. But, I mean, it was pretty cool when we were doing it. I mean, a ton of people. And just, like, yeah, every day you're just meeting. You're learning knowledge from other people. And, you know, getting their, you know, experience and whatnot. I mean, 60 episodes is a shit ton. Did you, did you enjoy, enjoy doing it? I'm guessing you did because you did 60. Yeah, it was awesome. Like we interviewed, um, you know, celebrities. We interviewed people that were like, we interviewed a dude that um, sold a company for like 200 million. Um, we interviewed people who like owned airplanes. We interviewed like, just all the like knowledge we got from someone. So, I mean, the reason why we did it is, um, you know, we're getting started and we didn't have like a ton of experience and, um, you know, I feel like, Oh, let me reach out. Like we literally made like a, like a list, like a hit list of like people that we wanted 
to interview. So think about if, you know, the 50 most successful people that right now that you would want to sit down and have lunch with, right? Because that was kind of the main thing. But if you reach out to them and say, hey, can I sit down and have out you lunch? And they're going to be like, okay, well, I'm super busy. Because anyone who's anyone is like, you know, busy. And they probably get, you know, asked for coffee or lunch all the time. And then so we're like, okay, well, how can we have those people actually give us a time of day? Well, let's do this podcast. And then we can interview them because everyone wants to talk about themselves. Everyone wants to share and we give them exposure. So instead of asking someone, hey, can you sit down with me and, you know, give me something? Um, you basically started with like, well, let me sit down and offer you something, contribute value to you first before I ask for something in return. So it's kind of the biggest thing because everyone's like, you know, in business, everyone wants to work with other people or successful people. And, but everyone's always about like, you know, asking for stuff and like taking. And what you really got to do is when you show up to kind of like give and like, you know, contribute value first. And then when you ask or you need something, it's a lot easier and people want to give you stuff or they want to, you know, contribute. And, um, yeah, so that's really what we did because we were just like, how are we going to get around, you know, top end people? Let's just, you know, do this podcast. So then that was one thing we get around the people too. We gained a lot of credibility because when we were starting, you know, we were doing a couple of projects and we wanted to start to scale and we're like, okay, well, we need more capital to do these projects. Well, how are we going to go out and, you know, raise that? Like, you know, we only done a couple of deals, but then you're just like, oh, here's a link to my, you know, podcast or you have it in your email, you know, signature line. And then they see that, oh, you've interviewed these like 20 people. And not only are they 20 people that like, they're literally the top 20 people like in the industry. So then that's like another, you know, big term I always like says like credibility by association. So like if other people give you the time of day and you know, associate with you, um, the people like the same thing, like the the five people that you hang around with the most, like, that's how you're going to be. So if you're hanging around with five people that really aren't doing anything, then you're going to be like that sixth person that's also not doing anything. You hang out with a lot of people that are like, you know, achieving success, like that's going to rub off on you. Um, so that helped out a lot because then it's just like, okay, well, you, all of a sudden, you know, like everyone in the industry, um, they really helped us like shoot up, you know, pretty quick. And then just literally the knowledge that they dropped and everything and just asking them and being able to have those people on like speed dial whenever you need something. And um, I've like established like a bunch of like awesome relationships um, through having that podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Who, who else was it? Someone was just telling me that exact same, you know, like the five people you hang out with. Oh, it was me. Oh, yeah, that, that was you. I was like, <laughs> as a, one of the five people I hang out with most right here. Like, yeah, um, the, five, the five people you hang out with, like you're the average of, right? It's something like that. Yeah. Huh. So who do, you, do you have, do you know five people? Yeah, I know five people. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> On my own podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, that's a that's a good descriptor of, like, the five people. But, I mean, I feel like I, besides the two people that I'm sitting in a room with now, it's constantly changing, especially if there's not, like, a like a networking event going on. Like I got that group of people that I see all the time, which is how I know uh, Matt. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, it's just constantly cycling. I mean, probably like my solid group of five people. I don't know if I have that many <laughs> <laughs> now that I am saying it out loud. Um, uh, Matt, I want to talk to you a little bit, or I guess we want to talk to you a little bit about Chicago. Uh, so living here your entire, entire life, especially because of school, if you could flip and or improve like one tourist destination, what destination would that be? You mean attraction, tourist attraction, attraction. sorry. Oh, in Chicago? 
Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I don't even go to any tourist attractions. <laughs> okay, which which uh, which tourist attraction do you think is the most overrated? Wait, you know what? Wait, I'll answer that first one. So Navy okay. Pier, what I'll do, because I go boating so much, I would uh, put a dock there where people could come and pick people up and drop people off because it's like very inconvenient when you're out there and they, they don't do that. So I, I would do that. And sure. it's, it's like so far out in the water too. It, see, that's the thing about like, it makes so much sense to have a dock there that we don't because it is so out there. Yeah. But like they used to have one and then they discontinued it like, I don't know, four years ago. They're talking about putting another one, but it hasn't happened yet. I feel like they need to build a bar at Navy Pier that you can dock up to. And like, oh, that would be... well, you know what? Mm, I don't know if I signed an NDA where I can't share this, but they're, <laughs> um, they're supposed to be building this thing in the corner of the playpen, which is based like this big floating restaurant. Well, I think it has like three restaurants and bars and a bunch of boats can pull up and uh, dock to it and whatnot. And I invested in it back. It was a Kickstarter. I invested in it back in uh, man, it was like 2014. They were like, oh, two to three years, it'll be ready. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> seven years. So they've been working on it and I can't share too much, but I have, they do have, had been making a lot of progress and then COVID kind of put a, a pause on it for a bit. But I think it's still going to have faith and confidence just from the updates they share that it's still going to get there, but it's probably going to be another two, three, four years, I feel like, because they're going to copy the, the Vegas type of, you know, daytime bar type of thing. That oh, yeah. Sense. Well, what, why, why did, do you know why they discontinued the dock off of Navy Pier? There was no um, or was there? I'd probably said- say, like, liability issues, if you just have all these, like, crazy drunk boaters like driving in and trying to dock and stuff and there's all these like you know tourists walking and i don't know there's probably a way they can do it legitimately but um the dock they had wasn't like it wasn't like a lot of space or room like only one or two boats could pull up at a time right but i don't know know the real reason but why what they should do is have like a little harbor you can pull into and just like pay for parking like that would rake in tons of money, first of all. Like, just put me in the seat. Like, I'll make yeah, a call. That's what we want. You drive <laughs> like a, Yeah, like a touch or go. You pay, like, 10 or 20 bucks to, like, you get five to ten minutes. Just, like, pull up and pick up and drop off. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah. So, um, so okay, so back to the, uh, the tourist attractions. What tourist attraction do you think is the most overrated in the city? Um... Like so, if you if you had people visiting from out of town and they're like, "Hey, we want to do touristy things," where would you be like? I guess we could go here, but deep down inside, you're like, "I do not want to go there." I mean, I'd probably just take them to the Bean Millennium Park because that's like the easiest thing where everyone <laughs> wants to go. That 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 was literally my answer for most overrated on our episode with Greg. Yeah, I was like, "The Bean, it's dumb. It's." It's kind of, it's just a giant silver bean and everyone wants to touch it. And then they're like, why are COVID numbers so high? See, I, think, I, think, I think the best part about taking people to the bean though, is you're like, Hey, we can just go to Sydney's. It's across Sydney's, the street. Sydney's isn't even open yet. Is it dead? It's I'm, I think it's, I, last time I checked, it said temporarily closed. Well, I mean, usually you could. And so that would be my reasoning for taking people to the bean. 
Um, oh, it's open. It says closes at 11. Okay, so it must be open now. But yeah, they had good old fashions. I just like the view. Yeah. Yeah, they're like $5 old fashions uh, during happy hour. I was like, oh, yep. Sign me up. had $5 old fashions? Yeah. Burn up. Man, yeah, let's go right now. Do you do you have a favorite spot in the city? What's your favorite place? Oh man, I got a lot of spots. Maybe. Um, like kind of like um, <clears throat> the division bars over like state division at that strip. Um, man, there's so many places to name. I can't even name them all. Just in general. What's your favorite type of like bar to go grab a drink at? Like, if you had to like describe an atmosphere, what's your ideal bar? See, it's a hard thing because I do like anything and everything, and I never <laughs> have like one thing. And I usually don't even invite people to stuff. I let them invite me to stuff. But I would say, if I had to sit anywhere and drink, it'd be out on a boat on Lake Michigan in the playpen. That's the favorite part of it. So okay, so can you? Because uh, my my brother for the past like two years did the boat share thing, so I've been lucky enough to get out on a boat and go out into the water every now and then. And it's hard to describe. I've been able to take these two buffoons out with me too, but it's hard to describe like telling people what the city really looks like and the different feel and love you get for the city when you are out on the boat and like in the water just hanging out. Like it's amazing. Oh, totally. Because you can see the whole city. The whole skyline, and you're just like sitting there in the water. There's really nowhere else in the country you can do that too much. I don't know, like maybe Miami. Like, I mean, if you're in you know LA, there, you know, there's not that many skyscrapers that are not you know that close to the you know the shore. And then you know in New York, no one really wants to be in like the Hudson River or anything. But just like the fact that you can like sit in the playpen and be anchored and just chilling, and like the entire skyline is just like right there. I mean, I got I took it for granted, but then like you know when I have people come and visit, especially like that aren't even in, from Chicago and they're there, they're just like, what the hell? Like people don't even know it exists or like what the experience is like. Like, um, I mean, I go there, yeah, I mean, that's it. And it is also kind of cool to go out and uh, you know drive around out in the, the open, go by the the cribs, which are those like you know the big things that you know pump all the water into the city for like two miles out. Um, but yeah, just staying along the shoreline and. Hanging there with the entire, you know, and then even at like, I don't go out too often at night, but if you see it at night, like it's a whole different like animal, like being out in the water and seeing all the city lights and the entire like skyline, like it's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's stunning to say the least. Have you seen it at night? I Me? feel like we, no, I was asking, uh, we've been out like not pitch black, like the sun was setting and it was getting dark because I mean. You don't want. I I just well, feel better for the, for the driver. Like I mean, I, I went with thing. you for that. Like we saw like yeah. sunset. Like yeah, the sunset. That's usually when we'd head back to the dock is when the sun was setting. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So I mean, I I see Matt. You're always out on a boat, dude. I every time I like go into Facebook, it's like I'm on a boat, <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. I wish I was on a boat. All right, let's go. I'll take you guys. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I know. I literally saw one day after you were like, hey, hit me up. I got five spots available. I was like, and damn. Didn't hit him up? I was, what the uh, hell is wrong with day. you? I wasn't Jeez. in the city that day. I was like, son of a bitch. You weren't in the city that day. You could have been like, hey, I can't go, but I still have friends that can. 
All right. Well, next time I'll text him. You're freaking. I see that, and I'll be like, and I'll be like, Michael, quit your job. <laughs> you got to go on this boat. Deal. Um. But yeah, definitely. Um. So, so yeah. So most overrated tourist attraction you would you say is the Bean? Because I just want to make sure that that's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, if you're on record, I'll choose that. Awesome, perfect. That's what I said. Greg, if you were interested, Greg said uh double decker bus. The double like the two like yeah, the You know what? I've never been on that and it actually sounds pretty cool to go on. I don't know if you guys saw that movie, was it the breakup? And like Vince Vaughn was like gave those tours on there. I was yeah. like, man, I've never seen them. Like I thought it was pretty cool. Actually, the best tourist attraction, if you guys ever did the architecture tour. Yep. With the boat that takes you down the river, and they tell you about all the buildings, about everything. I didn't know like any of that, and it goes like the history is like pretty amazing. It's I've been on that tour. I love it. The only thing that I don't like about it is my brain sucks at remembering anything. So I want to take like a notebook and a pen with me and just be like, "Oh, that one's cool because of this. Got it." And then like I can study the river, so that way when I if I ever take a hot date out to downtown, I'm like. That building was built of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's right. Can I get you laid, buddy? Hey. But, yeah, I, I haven't been on the architectural tour. Uh, that's what um, Greg was telling us about. You told me about it. Um, yeah. I definitely do want to check that out, but I um, I haven't gotten around to it. Well, I also did the uh, haunted like ghost and gangs tour, and that's when I learned that just how many people died all over the city. Like, dude, you can just watch the news, and it's like <laughs> three hundred every weekend. That's true. That's true. Dude, someone was stabbed a block away from my building this morning. It's a Wednesday. Have you talked to your roommate? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah yeah he told me about it he like sent me a snapchat he's like dude someone got stabbed at, it's like 10 a.m and i was like yeah it's also chicago like i'm unfazed at this point like uh it's ridiculous madam uh the the chicago food war would you rather have deep dish pizza or a chicago hot dog or beef beef yeah, I used to be like the deep dish a bit, and then I realized it's just like all dough, and then I'm like kind of gave up on it. And I've never really liked the Chicago style hot dog, but yeah, Italian beefs. Like I had one this morning, so like, <laughs> <laughs> where where do you go to get them, dude? So like, no, it's the way you get them. I get hot jarnera on it, but here's what I do: no one does. Instead of getting mozzarella, I ask for nacho cheese. So oh. I get nacho cheese on them all the time. It's like a game changer. Like no one would think of it. Then I get them dipped. But um, yeah, I mean, like any place, but bet most underrated Italian be- uh, place to get Italian beef from, you'd never think of Home Depot. Like, what? Like, yeah, no, at the end of it, they got this little cart thing. Yeah. I think it's called like Eisenhower or something. Um, you go there and you get it. It's like five or six bucks, and it tastes like phenomenal. You would never think to get it, where they would have it. Like it's in my top five of like best Italian beefs. It's like the Home Depot cart. And people who's got it, they know, but most people don't know that even exists. All right. Where's so. the nearest Home Depot? I, I'm my mouth's watering. I like the way he described it, and like, yeah, I don't even think he went into that much detail. That, that, and next time I have a date, we're going downtown for drinks. <laughs> then she's like, "Where are we going for dinner?" I'm like, "You'll Home never Depot. fucking, you'll never fucking guess." Walk her into Home Depot, go into like the the outdoor furniture section, sit her down, pull out two freaking beef sandwiches. <laughs> 
Perfect. So you got uh, Portillo's, Al's Beef, um, Buena Beef. Now they're starting to have some more. And then Home Depot does the top four. <laughs> no order. No order? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got to get me some Bona. I love Bona. Um, but I also, you've never had Bona? No. Oh, damn. No, Bona's no. like, it hits different because I, my parents used to live, like they bought our house at Berwyn mm-hmm. from the Bona Beef family. Oh. So like, yeah, my, my dad knows all those guys, but they, uh, yeah, we grew up in that house and we grew up like right by the Berwyn location of Bona Beef. So it was just like. And they were a client for the longest time. So it was like, we would just get bone and beef all, all the time. time. And I was just like, when we moved to Indiana over the border, I was like, like, let's get bone and beef. They're like, we can't here. <laughs> like, there's no way to get it here. But they actually just put one in and like, that yeah, was perfect. But yeah, that's probably my number one. But that's because of nostalgia. Not necessarily it's the best of the best. I just love it. Matt, um, with all of your, I guess, with your love of boats and your history in the business and networking and like just connecting with people in your industry, have you ever been on like a sick ass, uh, like just huge ass yacht? Um, yeah, like not, not anything like super, I mean, private ones. Yeah, like, um, like super big or sick but like those ones actually like the like the needed e ones and the ones that go from navy pier like the triple deckers they have like you know they have like three bars and there's like um a helicopter on one of them at the top i mean those are pretty dope uh summer of george is pretty dope it's like um like a party once they got a bar down in the base on the indoor kind of first floor and then the top is just like you know they have like djs and i'll just go like nuts I mean, all those are probably the sickest ones I've like been on. Where um, like the party ones, where it's like thirty bucks to go on, like totally worth it. Um, and then the private ones are more like more chill, and you have like cool people, and then it's kind of like a free for all. Um, but yeah, I started getting like pretty invested in the boating community the last couple of years. Starting a lot of invites on other people's boats, and then I have a friend who has like owns two boats that um, he charters out. That actually they make really good money and i was like talking numbers with him and stuff so that's something i'm going to be like looking into in the future um you know doing real real estate and owning rental properties if i can do that instead and you know buy boats and like you know charter those out and make you know the same amount of money or more but then also use them in you know the spare time when they're not chartered out like yeah that yeah. itself then i'm getting paid to own a boat and go out on a boat like that's yeah yeah, it's rough. Found out about this year, so that's kind of what. Uh, rough life. What's uh like? What's what's the end game? Like, do you do you want to have one of those yachts, or do you just want to be able to like get a place where you can just you know park it's a boat? At? No, at six, at six o'clock. Did you hear that? That was the question. Uh, no, I was just curious, like if you had an end goal for like owning a certain type of boat or and or boats and or land with boats. Yeah, so no, that's um, because you know, so I grew up basically on a boat. My, I mean, my dad had like a small, like seventeen footer that he still has that he still goes out like once a week in uh, in Cedar Lake, Indiana, um, like an eight seater. And then, so that was kind of just grew up with that. And then when I came to Chicago, and then I I bought into a sailboat for two years with a. Uh, I had a friend who owned one and I bought out like one of his partners and kind of learned all about the Chicago harbors and whatnot. And I took like a 
a year break and I bought into one boat club that had jet skis and they didn't know what they were doing. I mean, it was really fun. And then they had COVID ended up like closing them. And then I joined this other club last year and now I'm starting to kind of learn, you know, more about it and whatnot. But no, yeah, that's definitely the end game. Um, like I'd live on a boat if I could. So kind of really? <clears throat> one of the things I'm thinking about is kind of starting to go migrate towards Florida and you know, Central America and um, you know, the Virgin Islands and stuff down there in Costa Rica and whatnot. Cause you know, Real estate's really good down there, way warmer weather, and then I can vote year-round instead of just, like, you know, three months out of the year. And then, so, yeah, it's really opened up my mind the last, you know, year or two of, like, you know, real estate and beyond of, like, you know, there's another business there that's, like, you know, where they say, you know, do what you love and, you know, really invest in your passion. Because uh, real estate was always just, like, a vehicle to kind of, you know, bring me to, like, the next level or, you know, kind of get to where your goals are. But like when you can, I can tie the pa- a passion into that with also investing and, um, you know, passive income like that's, yeah. So I'm just kind of starting um, on that. Um, so, yeah, I think you called it. <laughs> I mean, I can see it. Right, so wait, so you said your your dad still goes out on uh, Cedar Lake? <laughs> yeah. He just retired uh, two months ago. So now he goes like probably two or three times a week instead of once a week. So do they live out that way? <clears throat> no, it's like about a 45-minute drive from there. Yeah. But um, they might actually move closer now that he's retired. Yeah, because my like my parents are not far from the uh, from Cedar Lake, so that's like like the area I grew up in. Jackson, oh yeah, he almost had to change his shorts when you mentioned Indiana. I so. was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, no way. I was like, you know where Cedar Lake is? Because like uh yeah well i was saint john we call that witness protection because they don't even show it on the map when they like show the like weather forecast for the week they just show like all of the surrounding ones no one knows no one's ever actually from saint john but well my brother lives in sherville and probably more than half my family or two-thirds of my family is like down in that area um the crown point and well and munster whatever name yeah I've drank at I think every bar in Crown Point. Shocker. That is shocking. There's a lot of <laughs> it was a lot of hard work and determination. I couldn't do it alone. And actually that um not to bring up bad points again, but that uh <laughs> that her and overdose guy from that house, that was in Indiana too. So Of course it was. <laughs> where where was Gary. that at in Indiana? Uh I don't know if it was like Hammond or like Oh, Griffith. I want to say it was Griffith. Mm, yeah. Not that that checks out, but <laughs> I mean, it's not super surprising. I mean, I feel uh, that there is a little bit more uh, like Indiana. First of all, there's like a heroin pandemic. There was that before there was a COVID pandemic. So, right. but Indiana is just like, it's crazy uh, with like, I know people that I graduated with that OD'd on heroin. Uh, so it's definitely a big, uh, big fucking issue over there, but it sounds like it. Yeah. It's messed up. <laughs> well, Matt, thank you again so much for, uh, coming on the untied podcast and, uh, telling us the horror stories. Cause as much as they are <laughs> terrible, we do love them. We like, for some reason, enjoy hearing like the craziest, worst thing that could happen. Well, I mean, and it's part of, it's part of flipping house. It is. Believe it or not. Well, both those yeah. stories I told you are actually submitted to like one of the biggest nationally known uh, real estate investors. Like he did like, a, I think one was like top 10 
horror houses. And there was like top 10, yeah, horror stories about contractors. And they both, I was the only one to make both lists. <laughs> like nationwide. And he's, you know, got the biggest influence in like, you know, the real estate invest community. So yeah, it'd be hard pressed to find better stories than that. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's definitely great that you made both lists. I mean, that's impressive. Uh, cause yeah, wow. That's it's again, I don't know why we enjoy hearing like the horror stories of like on the job, like worst thing that could happen, but for some reason that is so interesting to us that we're like, wow, because we're like we're so far removed from Maybe because we're horrible people. That well, might also be did, uh, we went to go do a podcast episode where I literally did a post and I go, hey, we're going to do a horror story podcast episode. So we're like, okay, well, let's get 10 people to tell five minute stories each. And uh, nobody submitted anything. And I was like, we tried to do that. And we had to, okay, there was another one. Uh, I don't have too many details on it, but essentially, like, you really got to focus, you know, pay attention to what like, um, insurance you have. There was a guy who fell. Basically, I showed up to work, and he shouldn't have gone to work that day, like a, a contractor. And he was uh, showed up, like, drunk from the night before, was wearing, like, gym shoes. It was, like, wet. He went up on a ladder. He slipped off the ladder, fell back, fell on, like, a, like one of those steel fences, like, impaled himself and, like, died. Oh, and the investor who owned the house, like, the guy's family, like, sued him, which obviously it had wasn't his fault whatsoever. Is obviously the guy who showed up drunk, like, not ready to work. Um, with the right shoes and whatnot. Um, the guy had like a big, like three and a half million dollar, like real estate investing business. And the whole thing went down, the, ended up going down the drain. He went bankrupt just because of that one thing, because he didn't have the right paperwork set up. Like basically they were able to say that this guy was an employee of his versus an independent contractor because he didn't have the right paperwork to say that the guy's an independent contractor and he's not liable for anything that he does. And he has to have his own, you know, he's like, oh, he didn't have workers comp and blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, so that legal stuff and that compliance stuff, a lot of people don't pay attention to it. It's like, you know, you know, boring. You're like, oh, well, what are the chances anything's ever going to happen? And, like, you make one wrong step and it could, you know, the whole business can go under. Yeah, well, Holy we're going to have to check our insurance paperwork Yeah, down. okay. So, yeah, I was going to say, if, like, if we've learned anything from today, we need to cover your ass with paperwork. Not let contractors live in your house. Home Depot has great beef sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, that's one positive one super duper positive thing is yeah. Home Depot is a and, hidden gem in the city or wherever and, you gotta get a gift with nacho cheese and Jardinera and t- Tony and Greg owe us a Miami trip and Matt now owes us a trip out on the boat oh yeah wait I wanna go to Miami too let me know when, when <laughs> <laughs> alright yeah we'll Done. just tell them you're here with us yeah. we'll be like no no you guys know Matt yeah no, they don't <laughs> But yeah, it'll be fun. We'll uh, we'll end up in Miami, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely see you before then. Though we'll grab a drink soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So for sure. Uh, yeah, definitely. Thank you again for coming on. And then, uh, uh, people can connect with you or follow you on. Uh, where's the best place to follow you? Um, you can just uh, email me at uh, Matt M A T T Messick M E S I C K at Gmail. Or if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's uh, Matthew Messick. Awesome. And we'll, we'll have your uh, Instagram in the uh, description below. So make sure to go there, check that out. And thank you again so much for uh, coming on the podcast. And we will see you soon. Good talking to you, man. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right.